Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The New York Studio School welcomes artists to join an upcoming five-day virtual painting marathon with their dean and founder of the legendary Studio School Marathons, artist Graham Nixon. Taking place this November from Thursday, November 10th through Monday, November 14th, the Studio School's legendary marathons present a wide range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. The virtual format enables you to join in real time from your own studio anywhere in the world. Expansive and experimental, marathons equip artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the world's best acrylic paints and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints. You can get their supplies in art stores everywhere or at goldenpaints.com. You know what keeps me going? Making work in the studio, podcasting with artists, teaching, being a dad, and everything else going on? Coffee. Specifically, the amazing coffee from Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee based out of Seattle, and the cool thing is, you can have it delivered straight to your door. Use the code ALFREDSTUDIO at checkout and get 20% off your order. They even have subscription services where they deliver different origin beans each week, every two weeks, every month, however often you want your coffee to arrive. I have it and it's amazing. I love the new blends each time I get a delivery and they're always really good. Check them out at fulcrumcoffee.com. I've been overwhelmed with the support for Why I Make Art, the Sound of Vision podcast book out on Atelier Editions. The messages from people who are into the book is really great. If you have a copy, please leave a rating and review on Amazon or wherever you ordered it from. It goes a long way at getting the book on the radar of other fans of art who might appreciate the stories of all the amazing artists involved. And if you don't have it, consider picking it up. You can get it via the Sound and Vision website page about the book. I hope it gives you some inspiration in your studio. Thomas Jackson was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. After earning a BA in history from the College of Worcester, he spent his early career in New York City working first in book publishing, then as an editor and writer at Forbes Life magazine. An interest in photography books eventually led him to pick up a camera shooting Gary Windogrand-inspired street scenes, then landscapes, and finally the installation work that he does today. A self-taught artist, Jackson has created a unique process that merges landscape photography, sculpture, and kinetic art. His work has been shown widely, including at the Photography Show in New York, the Center for Contemporary Arts in Santa Fe, the Bolinas Museum in Bolinas, California, and it was named one of the Critical Mass Top 50 in 2012. He won the Installation Still Life category of PDN's The Curator Award in 2013, and he earned second place in Center's Curator's Choice Award in 2014. Thomas and I talk about analog materials, the process of writing, studying turtles, experimenting in the cat skills, making photos, and much more. Here's our conversation. 
was born in Philadelphia. Um, but raised in Providence? Or wait. In, in Rhode Island, yeah. Rhode Island, okay. With, with some stints in Europe, because my dad was a professor. So he got a, a sabbatical every seven years. So in nice. 19, in like we lived in uh, Germany when I was 10 for six months, and then in, in France for a year when I was 17. That's cool. So you um, saw some stuff. I did. I did. But otherwise, it was it was Providence, um, which I hated at the time. But but now I, I kind of like it. It's a cool <laughs> well, it's town. It's a cool town. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Well, you think well, that because you didn't grow up there. But well, the, yeah, no, I know what that's about. Yeah, it's well, what was uh, what was it like growing up there? I guess if you're outside of that, because most of the people I talk to related to Providence, you know, we're going to school there and it was a certain yeah. vibe. Yeah, well, the Providence of my childhood was not nearly as nice as the Providence yeah. now. The, the way that downtown Providence is this beautiful sort of, you know, well-planned landscape with canals and parks and stuff. Downtown Providence was, its claim to fame when I was a kid was that it was the widest bridge in America because they basically paved over like two rivers completely. Like you couldn't even see the rivers, or is it one river or two river? Um, and 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 well, like when I was in high school, they basically broke it all open and and did what the, what they've done today. Um, but uh, I think you know, there's just so many parts of Providence that were sort of not places not places you'd necessarily want to go when I was a kid, but that are now right. these thriving neighborhoods. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And the East Side where I grew up has just like gotten much nicer, and and the. You know, the thing I love about Providence now that I didn't appreciate when I was a kid is that it's kind of like Brooklyn in a way, in the sense that the east side of Providence, at least, that you can just walk a long distance in any direction without really having to stop. You know, I mean, you, you, yeah. you know, obviously in Brooklyn, you hit some some big avenues here and there. But for the most part, it's just like oceans of brownstones. And yeah. Providence is kind of like that, too. It's just like, you know, neighborhood after neighborhood, whereas now we're outside of Philadelphia and you can't go like a half a mile without hitting a, a huge road that you have to like, like an overpass and stuff like that or, or, or just, just like just like a, a, a two lane two to four lane road where people are going 45 miles an hour right know? yeah and and Providence yeah. doesn't have that you know as, as a kid like riding a bike it's, it's like kind of a paradise um, yeah Philly's way it's laid out I've never you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so we would go to Philly once in a blue moon. I, I feel like I never got the lay of the land there. I mean, I went to South Street. Like, there were areas I would go to, and that was pretty much it. I didn't really explore a ton. Yeah, yeah. Museum, coffee shops, that was about it. Yeah, well, it's weird for me to be back to be in Philly because, as I mentioned, I actually was born here. Um, yeah, full circle. And and lived here till I was two. And my, my parents were in Philadelphia, but then they moved to... Uh, this town called Marion Station, um, like more or less the year I was born, I think. Uh, and I now live like about a mile away from oh, where wow. my parents lived when I was a baby. Um, and it was. You really did draw a map that came back to that starting point. It's, it's, it's really weird. It's like, did I come back here to die or something? It's very strange. No, no. <laughs> no like, <laughs> um, you came back for your rebirth. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> But um, well, do but you yeah. like it? I mean, it's I, I like it because it's very close to New York. Yeah, it's, like a, it's, easy a, to it's an hour and a half. I mean, that's kind of where 
I would like to be, honestly, but right. uh, it would also be really hard. Even yeah. even if, if, if everything was laid out, to just go back to New York and find a place to live and figure out what our kids are going to do and all that stuff. And That's the wild card. The kids, like the school and all that stuff. Yeah. Not that it's impossible or whatever, but it is a little, you know, cumbersome. It's so complicated. Um, and it's hard for them, too. And our kids, have, yeah. we put them through so much already, you know, going to California <laughs> and everything. Right. Um, but, you know, it's 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 livable here. And, and people are extremely nice. I mean, it's like the yeah. eastern extreme of the Midwest, basically, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And... You know the, the it, it's nice houses and architecture and you know it's it's but it's also like it just it, it doesn't have the vibrancy of that that I feel in in New York and and I and I feel kind of bad for Philadelphia sometimes I feel like it kind of stopped you know in the '60s and it's just sort of like right, maintaining right. itself you know yeah it's just like just like putting, putting cruise tape. control yeah kind of but but I think there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on in Philadelphia that I'm sort of bit by bit learning about even there's a great music scene here and yeah you know it's a it's definitely a place where you know chefs can experiment um, oh, right, before they sure. go to new york you yeah. know i mean cheaper like, rents yeah. they can play cheaper rents you know i mean it's like for instance you know that that hot new restaurant in brooklyn laser wolf like that that basically came from philadelphia if i'm oh really um yeah, yeah. I and mean, that guy had a restaurant here that he sort of like grew his, his thing, his brand, and then he go to New York. Um, so it, yeah. so Philadelphia is kind of like a proving ground for a lot of artists and musicians and stuff, and I think that's that's really cool. Yeah. I, you know, being from a provincial town where there's a real kind of like culture to that town, but it, it's there's something really nice about it, and they are, like once you go to New York or, or San Francisco or L.A. or something, you realize they are a little slow, like it's not quite the pace and there's something nice about that. And then there's also the fear of not boredom, but being, you know, like missing the, the fast lane or something. Yeah, yeah. Which is usually, I would think for the most part, smoke and mirrors. Like it's, you know, it's more a mindset than anything else because you're not, if you live in the city, unless you're one of those people who goes out all the time, you're, you're kind of not really oh, yeah. engaged in that all the time. But you can, it's the idea that you could dip into it. Provincial towns have great food great culture there's art and stuff you know there's that stuff is there it's just maybe not running on the treadmill quite as fast as some of the big cities but but then yeah. again affordable comparatively you know yeah well i think you can you can definitely find your people anywhere um, yeah but at the same time a place like new york just has like a critical mass of people who didn't want who didn't fit in in those other places or didn't want to be in those other right. places it's sort of the island of lost toys or something you know i mean it's like yeah, yeah. it's more of a concentration of of quirky creative people you just have to right. look a little harder to find them yeah and elsewhere. and then everyone else all the all of them find you in a way when you're here yeah you know yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> you don't have so. to be too aggressive about it people just find you yeah um so well growing up in in providence were you i your your dad was a teacher right I mean, was yeah, he's a household? he's um yeah very creative. My dad is a um, comparative physiologist. Um, uh, he was a professor at Brown, and he his his life's work was more or less studying turtles. Um, Whoa! And uh, he was the turtle guy, 
And yeah. his, I think his particular interest was how turtles survive in harsh environments, like like a, a red-eared slider hibernating at the bottom of a freezing cold pond over winter time yeah. and, and not breathing oh, yeah, that's the whole time. And so he studied like sort of how they did that and, and how they how they survived, how they like um, dealt with the, uh, uh, you know, the toxins that would build up in their bloodstream when they weren't breathing and stuff. Um, and so, you know, I think I think I sort of absorbed his interest in um, adaptation. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think I think that's something that I, I think about a lot because um, I think my work is, is a lot about adapting. Um, yeah. To environments and and trying to 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 work within them um, to survive. That's interesting. Um, so your work, in a sense, is born out of turtles. It could be, <laughs> could be, in a sense. Um, my mother is a is an artist, uh, and she actually, when I was a baby, we were living, you know, in the Philadelphia area. She was a mm-hmm. teacher at, at Moore. Um, oh, okay. And she taught somewhere else before that in North Carolina that I can't remember right now. Um, but she, so she's an artist and she's sort of a sculptor and a painter and stuff. And, you know, I wouldn't say that my work resembles her very closely, but but there's definitely some visual motifs that, that yeah, went I mean, from her. Very, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I think an, an, interest, an interest in sort of nature and and sort of the, the forms that nature can take, I think I, I sort of borrowed from her work somewhat nice without, perhaps without realizing it that's cool I, for a second i th- thought you might say that she was a watercolorist of turtles no which no, would have no. been the perfect alignment i think some turtles <laughs> showed up in her work here and there but um how was, couldn't they it was it was mostly <laughs> naked people when i was a kid which was excruciatingly embarrassing oh, for me. yeah but yeah <laughs> yeah Wait, well was she always representational in her work not always, but but a lot of a lot of it was um, and is. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask a question. It might be a gaffe, and then I'll leave this to the side. Okay. The study of the turtles does that encompass tortoises, or is that nomenclature differential, or is it part of the same? Well, all tur all tortoises are turtles, but not all turtles okay. are tortoises. So tortoises are like a a subset of turtles, but. But Don Jackson, my dad, was not... I don't think he did anything with tortoises, as far as I know. Okay. Probably because but they... But tortoises are generally bigger, right? Like they're... Yeah, like those Galapagos ones are... Yeah. Those are tortoises, That's what right? I think of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, well, I think of like ginormous... Those ginormous ones are amazing. But then like sea turtles are hu- pretty huge, you know? That's true. Yeah. Some of them snap. Yeah, no, they're really fascinating creatures. They, that's they really are. cool that that's yeah. what he's studied. It yeah. was his life's work, basically, right? Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, I think he, like, when he was in getting his PhD, I mean, I think he, you know, briefly worked with rabbits and rats or something. But I think he, he landed on the turtle and just stuck with it. Yeah. And, and got it's, numerous, like, National Science Foundation grants over the years to study turtles. That's cool. Um, yeah. That's really, do you feel like you, maybe you've inherited a little bit of that kind of, like, getting very like research and getting interested in one specific thing or project in a way? I think so. And, and I, and I think, you know, there was a, there was a spirit of exploration yeah. in my dad's work that, that I, that I find really inspiring. 
Um, yeah. I mean, he was, you know, a, an intellectual and, and an accomplished person in a, in, a, in a way that I can never imagine being. But I think, but I think he, at the core of it, he had this just a just a raw curiosity. Um, yeah. And and that's where that's where it all came from. And and he he would he would you know have an idea about you know turtle respiration or whatever and and design an experiment and 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 the the, the point of it was the process and the exploration you know of, right and not, it didn't he didn't have an expectation of what the, the answer was going to be it was the, the it was it was about finding out that was the yeah. important thing that's um, cool and did, did you have siblings i have one sibling who's older than me yeah okay um he lives in boston yeah, Allington. <laughs> nice. Um, and what was the music situation? Actually, having an older brother usually tips you off to good music, or can tip you off to good music early. Was that I mean, thing? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I was ever a, like a huge. I mean, I was really into music, but I was never into contemporary music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just. I mean, I think there was a brief period when I was probably twelve or something when I. You know, we had a record player, and I would buy like forty fives of, you know, whatever the hit single was, or or you know, we used to all tape stuff off the, off the radio, right, and make our own mixtapes. Um, but you know, by the time I was in high school, I was listening to music from, the sixties and seventies, um, uh, and in the rock genre, or like yeah, genre? I mean, like, um, I God, I mean, I was so into like, old Genesis, like Peter Gabriel. Genesis. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. In or in middle school, early high school, um, jazz came later. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I often joke that that I just like totally missed the nineties um, in terms of <laughs> which music. is a big decade. Which and, was a big one. And I really, I really like nineties music now. I mean, I yeah. and, and and I'm like working to, to to go deeper and discover more and more. But I mean, I was I was like in Seattle in. The early '90s for summer, I probably could have like gone and seen Nirvana in like a little club or something, but yeah, they were not remotely on my radar because I was listening to like John McLaughlin, Birds of Fire, you know, <laughs> right? A little different, so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you were um, right at the source, um, yeah, I totally. Mean, Seattle in the early yeah, '90s, yeah, was, yeah, that's where it was. Yeah, the, so the I was, '90s. I mean. Between grunge and, and hip hop in the '90s was incredible too. So it was a real, it was a good decade. Yeah, I heard that. that I heard that. Um, <laughs> um, Someone told you about that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but music was always a big thing for me, um, and I was actually being a musician was was one of my first quixotic um, aspirations. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, I I literally picked up a guitar when I was like seventeen, but became obsessed with it. Um, and was in a band in college. That was really fun. Um, Did what got you into guitar? Was it uh, Pete Townsend? Not Pete Townsend. God, I don't even know what got me into guitar. Um, maybe it was like the the weird jazz I was listening to. Um, uh, but I just I just started playing it like crazy. And but my my profile as a musician was was a lot like my profile as an artist. Which is that I can do my own thing, but I'm not uh, versatile. I'm not a jack of all trades. Like if somebody wanted to sit down and jam with me right. and like you know play 
Stairway to Heaven or something. Like I, I can't I can't do that. Um, right. They'd have to jam to you. Yes, but I, I wrote I, I wrote some songs that I was you know kind of proud of, and my buddies nice. wrote some songs and we made a demo tape and and uh, it was really fun. I had a hard time with the with the group sort yeah, of it's dynamics tough. of it, and yeah. you know so many different expectations and you know. And then you write write a song and tell people are telling you like how how that should end and stuff like that. It's like no. Um, well, you found the answer. I mean, yeah. a lot of artists I feel like do that, where you know the band life, the collaborative part is tricky. Yeah. Even just the, getting them to show up at the same time, it's like really we're going to wait like an hour here while people in the band show up. Whereas if you're in your own studio, you just you work when you work. You're your boss, you know. I mean, if if I was into music today and I could just like have my my computer and my synthesizer and my guitar and just like you know make a whole album myself that would be amazing um, you might never leave i know you know, I, know I know i mean my, it's amazing isn't it though like that demo tape you recorded you probably had to go somewhere oh yeah we, we like found a studio we found yeah, a yeah. guy who had a studio in in cleveland and like it was awesome because i was in one room with the with the bass player and the drummer yeah, was yeah. up in the garage and the keyboard player was like in the side room, whatever. It was awesome. Um, yeah, you feel like you're doing something. Yeah, like, and I mean, he, now it's like bedroom production. You just you yeah, know, you do everything. Yeah, well, and he recorded on DAT. Remember DAT? Digital audio tape. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was a yeah. short-lived sort of thing. Yeah, right. It yeah. wasn't. It didn't have that much longevity. Yeah. Um, the band I was in uh, recorded at Electrical, Steve Albini's studio in Chicago, uh-huh. and we recorded on tape, which was awesome. Like, it, it was hard, but it, there was like that analog tape, you know, there's something so different to that, not to be, you know, that guy, but it was different. Like, it had a different sound to it, which was really Absolutely, cool. absolutely. Um, the whole analog digital thing is endlessly fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I agree. Also in the, in well, we lived through it, you know? Yeah. Like, young people, that's not analogs, more of like, oh, yeah, that's a cool thing that you can, that's a little different. But when you migrate through it, you have a different relationship to, like, four-track mixers and, you know, or, like, you know, old tube amps. I got a Fender tube amp, and that thing was, you know, they're heavy, and they're kind of a pain in the ass when the, when the amps blow or the fuse blows or whatever. But, I mean, they are, like, they sound so warm. Yeah, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, I have. Do you a Fender, have that? I have a Fender. I have my old Fender amp that I just brought to my house from my mother's house, and my nice sixteen-year-old daughter is playing. I got her a little oh, pickup cool. for her acoustic, and she's been playing with it. Is it a twin or is it smaller? Is it like a? Chain? It's actually not even a real tube amp. It's like sort of a fake tube amp, but it's um. They sound good though. It sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, my son has one, a Vox, one of those. It's not a tube amp, but it sounds pretty good. Yeah. It sounded better than anything I played at into in high school. <laughs> I think I think I was using like a stereo speaker that I somehow rigged to be like put a quarter inch jack into it and like play a guitar through it. Yeah, not the best. Yeah, <laughs> but you make do, you know. Yeah. Well, you not to jump too far forward, but um, in your own equipment, are you analog digital curious? <laughs> I think I just my my photography fast. equipment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been shooting film. Nice. Forever. Four by five. Um, yeah. But I just went on a trip and to, to make some work and I bought a digital camera. How could you? 
I know. I mean, I feel the same way. But I, I was, I felt a lot of pressure to really like get as much as I could out of the trip. And yeah. usually, I show up on a shoot with ten to fifteen sheets of four by five film, uh, and yeah. and that's like a, it's a real gamble. And so yeah. I, I just, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a digital, and. It was well. They're amazing. It's pretty amazing. I gotta say, yeah. and and it's not all good, but right on balance, it kind of is. And I'm and I'm I'm struggling with that, you know, because I I have this yeah. this connection to analog, and and as I said, I'm all about process, and right, I really like the process of using film. You know, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, you know, I grew up with vinyl. I had records. I had a yeah. record player. And I listen to vinyl all the time. And at a certain point, I moved to New York and I was like, bye-bye vinyl. You know yeah. what I mean? And and then I had CDs, which became obscene. I had a ginormous collection. Yeah. And then streaming. Streaming, I feel the same, probably the same conflict you feel. Although yours is more indebted to your process. But, you know, that, that feeling of like, well, yeah, I can just stream everything. And it's all there, you know. Nigerian high life from you know 1958 or something I got it you know yeah, with the click yeah. of a but then it's not the same because you don't have that same relationship it's hard you know yeah yeah truly it's kind of like we're we're kind of blessed to have that predicament in a way you know I mean, yeah. digital cameras are, are pretty amazing and they you can do things that you just never would be able to do with giant Polaroid but they give you something you know it's I guess Best of both worlds in a way. You you take you use some of that when you need it, and use some of that when you need it. Yeah, I'm not. I actually bought a ton of film for that trip that I took, and I didn't mm-hmm. use one sheet of it. So right. I have a lot of film, and I need to use it. So so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not giving up entirely on that. Right. Yeah. Well, when did uh, when did the camera enter your life? Were you taking pictures as a kid? I. I, I took a photography class um, in middle school um, and loved it. Yeah. And weirdly enough, the other day, um, my middle school art teacher like liked one of my images on Instagram. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like recognize the name? I was, and yeah, I, you were like, oh. And I, I wrote to her, I DM'd her, and I was like, hi, would you happen to be my middle school art teacher? <laughs> and and like two days later, she replied, "Yes, that's that it. sounds like a, the correct pace for a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> an old an yeah. old teacher from the past." Yeah, but but it, it was it was not an effusive reply. Um, yeah, and, and I wrote her back, and I was like, "You're a great teacher. Thank you." Also, um, I'm sorry that I ruined your whale watching film in whatever year that was. <laughs> Um, when I was you know, you do? 15 years old. Basically, she had deemed me to be a competent competent in the darkroom. And she uh-huh. was like, you know, Thomas is doing really well loading film. Um, and we came, we all came back to class on a Monday and she's like, I went whale watching on a whale watching cruise, you know, in Massachusetts or whatever over the weekend. Um, would you like to load my film for me? And I was like, Uh-oh. absolutely. I totally <laughs> screwed it up. Because you know how it happens. You you don't get it on the spool right, and it's like touching, and the yeah. and it makes these horrible blotches on the film. Oh no! Um, I felt terrible. She was totally cool about it. Oh, that's at nice. the time. Um, but but you know she like you know she elevated me and and gave me this opportunity. Oh god! You know when these, you wrote that that long 
you know, thing to her, did she reply, okay, period? She said, I didn't remember that, which was a huge relief to me. So basically, I'm, oh, that's off, good. I'm off the hook because she doesn't even remember. So it's you all like, good. pretend I didn't even write the stuff about the whales. Yeah. You never went yeah. whale watching. <laughs> no. I was an ace in that studio. Well, you know, I, I would love if she still had that film because to me, like the, the ruined whale watching film is much more interesting than the whale watching film is it not oh it probably would you be know? amazing to see yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so I, I maybe she'll dig it up but i don't, I don't think she's gonna but you, so you were working with film back then film yeah film. yeah um and i really liked it uh and but it never occurred to me that it was a thing that i wanted to do um right. and, and in fact i took another photography class in college and totally loved it um, again, it didn't occur to me that this was something. But you went for something I, else, right? You didn't go for art. Yeah, I wanted to be a writer. Um, That's different. Yeah. It's a different pace. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I think, I mean, I don't regret that. I mean, I don't really regret anything. But but yeah. I, I think if I'd, if I'd been more in touch with who I am and how I work, and what I'm, what's, what's like a clear path for me, and what's a what's a path full of obstructions. I think I, yeah. I would have, I should have seen earlier that making art and doing photography was a great thing for me to do. Would have been a great right. thing for me to yeah. do. But I had to. I just came to it very, very slowly. Well, you never know, though. I mean, that maybe those bumps in the road were, you know, were important. Absolutely, I mean, it seems like Absolutely. it worked out for you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't. I think that. To, to second guess yourself and to think about how you could have done things differently is it's kind of interesting but it's yeah. it's, it's um, I think even our failures and all the things that, that don't go the way we want them to are, are part of the story um, and right it would be a completely different story without them yeah you could have went to art school and then joined a performance art collective and started dancing naked in the woods and yeah. was heard from again. Absolutely. Actually, I mean, that I, doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> it sounds good, actually. I, I mean, I think a lot about what would have happened if I went to art school. Um, right? Yeah. It's such a, you'll never know. Like, I went only went to universities and I talked to so many people who went to art school and I, I always wonder, like, how would I have done in, like, an art school, art school? You know? Never know. But you went to an art school in a university, though. Yeah, but you know, it's it would have been different. You know, Penn State is a lot different than like SVA. You know what I mean? So I I just wonder. You know, it would be different. You I you think that stuff all the time. I think or not living in regret or whatever. We just wonder like, oh, what would have happened if I you know made that left left turn at Albuquerque? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that's for sure is that I'd have a bunch of friends that I would have made in art yeah. school. But everything else right. is, is impossible to know. You're not hanging out with tons of writers these days? The old connects? You know, I've, I've got my, my publishing buddies still. Yeah? Are you still, do you, well, not still, but do you write? No, not really. Um, yeah. It's uh, hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's really hard. It's, it's, uh, it was something uh, that was, I, I loved having done it. Yeah, um, it's sort of like what Mike, Mark Twain says about reading a classic. It's everyone wants to have read a classics, but they don't want to actually read them. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I I had this incredible uh, euphoria when I'd had written something and when completed it and was happy with it. But the process was 
excruciating. I um, couldn't agree more. I mean, I wrote, you know, the, the book that I did for the podcast was like it, you know, like having it in my hand was amazing and being able yeah. to reflect was great. The process, not so, but when I'm in my studio painting, I love the process. I mean, yeah. it's difficult, yeah. but I live for that. And then when I'm done, I send it to the gallery, I send it somewhere and then I forget about it. It's on yeah. to the next process. Yeah. So it's like flipped. Yeah. Writing, it's like, I just want the end product. You know, the, the process is like a real slog. But then again, it's probably because I'm not good at it. And some people, I'm sure, it flows like water. I mean, I've, I've known people for whom it does flow like water. That's and nice. other people who, for whom it's, it's just as difficult as what we're describing. Um, yeah. But I, I think it just it didn't fit my what I'm capable of and what I'm good at. You know, I mean, I, I, think, yeah. I think I was really interested in being like a long form, like personal journalism writer like I, I was obsessed with Joseph Mitchell and John McPhee and Ian yeah. Frazier basically all these New Yorker guys um, right and and Susan Orlean people like that uh, and and I I feel like I was really good at coming up with great ideas for for these stories that I wanted to write but mm-hmm. when it came down to the actual education execution it was just like hitting a wall um, yeah and I think that kind of Writing requires just like a, a lot, a lot of organization and a lot of um, long-term planning. That honestly, I'm just not capable of it. I'm really not. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm. I'm. I work in real time. Um, yeah. I mean, it's I have such this a process. Right? I mean, I, I have it this joke. It. Yeah. But I have this joke with my wife that that she like wants me to you know plan a trip for us. Um, right. And I'm like, I just, I'm just. It's it's I, I'm, it's not my strength, but when we're on a trip, and things things go wrong, I'm really good at at, at real time problem solving, um, yeah. on the ground. But when it comes to like putting all the pieces in, together in an abstract future place, I, I have right. a hard time with that. It's not so much the preemptive; it's more the react. Like you're good in the spot. Yeah, but like yeah. doing that stuff beforehand is. Which is funny because I imagine, I mean, in your, I only know your work as your work from probably fairly recent, but it seems so kind of like, it seems like there's a lot of planning. There, there, there is a lot of, I mean, I wouldn't call it planning. I'd call it, I'd call it trial and error. That's true. Um, that's I mean, setting, I, yeah, that's true. I mean, every, every piece is, is, is. I guess you could think every piece is a plan for the next piece, in a sense. Right. Um, but but I but I, I and I sort of incrementally improve how I work with with each piece. But but yet each piece is its own improvisation. Um, and I've I have many times in the past tried to plan things out and to sort of you know very carefully pick a location and then plan you know with drawings and whatever you know exactly what I want to do and on the occasions when I have tried to do that as soon as I'm on the ground actually working I just throw it all out the window yeah. and just just go right. um, partly because there's always some variable that I didn't anticipate um, right that that I have to adapt to and and I and I tend to sort of like completely change and go in a new direction 
does it feel right. better though if even if if you do go like i you can imagine like a director or someone who's you know producing a movie you know things are going to change like the the location there's going to be so much like you're talking about nothing is going to go to plan to plan but they still they have to sketch something you know there is the logistics and all that stuff i imagine you maybe you feel or, or is it just kind of like reactionary like impulsive whenever you're in that when it's actually time to create that the piece you're just going with it right yeah i mean i i think i'm i I have some some very fuzzy idea of what i want things to look like um and so i and i can you know I, i i i work with that but i don't you know being really specific is sort of like trying to have control and right i've i think i've realized over the years that that trying to be in control is not the best thing for me um, yeah and in fact uh relinquishing control is is uh a better path for me and right will you get more out better results right well with writing was it like that where it was kind of like more concrete and then you got the feeling of like well it's too anchored or you know because a lot of times the i always do this in critiques with students where i'll say you know well it it's okay because you're you're an artist you're making images if you really wanted to spell it out you would write because then you could define it and i realize there's poetry there's kinds of writings that are abstract or whatever but were you tending towards the more literal or representational in your writing and then you found that when you can make visual work you it I mean, because your visual work feels so ephemeral and not pegged down, you know? I mean, I was definitely, I was more interested in journalism than fiction. Um, Yeah. And I think the connection is that with, to write fiction, I feel like you're, you're just kind of starting from a blank canvas. Um, And, you know, there's, I think there can be a lot of, repertorial fiction where you're bringing things in from real life but still it feels like a blank piece of paper and you know I'm just I'm going to create I'm going to make make it all up Um, and that that kind of the prospect of that terrifies me much the same way being a parent a painter the the prospect of that would be utterly terrifying to me Um, because I I can't I just feel like I can't do it all myself Um, whereas the thing I like about sort of the kind of uh, personal journalism that I was so interested in was that it was it was uh, finding these fascinating details about places yeah. or or people and then just uh, reorganizing them um, right and and finding I guess that is a link and, like and a, finding a and finding uh, extraordinary things in ordinary people and places oh right yeah um, and so I think for me, I like to take these very day, day-to-day, you know, quotidian objects and materials and try to transform them into something surprising. Um, right. Or weird that makes or sense. whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a strange, like a, a sort of alien, you know, because they're kind of injected with life that you don't understand, like, what's, you know, where it's coming from, really. This yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I and I think if you came on a shoot with me, you'd be surprised, as I always am, 
at how when I first begin making the thing, it just kind of looks like what it is. Yeah. Um, but then as I as it gets bigger and I'm I'm finished doing what I'm doing, and then the the elements start to interact with it, the wind and the and the and the softening light. It just yeah. it, 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 it undergoes a, a transformative sort of moment, and it's it's uh that's that's what I go for. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've always wanted to Nepal, so maybe I can book that trip if you could just tag me along. Okay. On one. Okay. Does okay. that sound good? Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> that sounds a little I, chilly, but okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's for the art. <laughs> the light. The so light's did, good. Right. Right. How did you get to that point? So, so you you go to school for writing. I mean, it's you know, it's a jump. How did you go from A to B? Basically, I mean, I didn't even go to school for writing. I I have no advanced degrees. Um, I have a, a bachelor's in history. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, but I mean, you went you went to school for something outside of art, technically. So, yeah. How did you make that transition? Um, well, I was working in a magazine in New York. Um, yeah. Like a. I imagine that was chaotic. You know, not really, actually, because it was. Um, it was okay. When I when I started, it was a quarterly magazine, oh, and okay. then by the time I left, it was it was bi monthly, so it was pretty okay. pretty glacial pace. Um, right. I mean, it was it was it was not. We were not out in the middle of the river there. We were sort of in a little a little eddy on the on the yeah. banks, um, and it was. I mean, it was a really fun job. I mean, I traveled a lot and um, did wrote travel stories. I edited like a section of book reviews. Um, in the last few years I was there, I wrote an electronics column, which was kind of fun. So I sort of nice. got to go to the, the, the tech shows and oh, the conventions and, yeah, to yeah, see yeah. all the new stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Which was all, which ultimately was disappointing because you just realized that 95% of it was just landfill. Um, Oh yeah, the 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 actual innovation was was kind of hard to find. Um, yeah, but I mean that was really fun. But I think I gradually came to that conclusion over those years that that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish um, as a writer what I wanted to accomplish. Like what I was saying before, I just loved coming up with great ideas, but the actual process of executing them was overwhelming to me. Um, yeah, it's sort of like I think I kind of went through the same thing as a musician. You know, I think I, 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 I loved what I was doing, but I kind of decided that I wasn't going to be able to go where I wanted to go. Right. <clears throat> Just in terms of my own skills and and desire, um, and so gradually, while I had that job, I sort of became interested in taking pictures again. And I'm not sure exactly why, honestly. I mean, I. I have a, a friend from college who was uh, like a uh, doing the photography, was director of photography at Details Magazine, and I would hang out with her a lot, and she would talk about photography a lot. And she was like finding all these young photographers and introducing them in Details Magazine, sort of launching a lot of careers. And, uh, and I don't know, I met a bunch of people through her who were – cool photographers and, and just sort of became interested. And I, and I got a camera, I got a 35 millimeter camera and started walking around taking pictures. Um, so first, it was kind of related to work, but it wasn't, it's not like you turned and said like, Oh, I'm, now I'm going to take 
you know, art photos. I mean, it wasn't related to work. I mean, I did manage to, to, um, do a few photo shoots for articles in the magazine Yeah, that I wrote. Like I went, I went to Toronto. I can't believe they let me do this, but I went to Toronto (laughs) to a rock, paper, scissors competition. Like literally a bunch of dudes playing rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. Um, And I took pictures. Um, and I wrote the story. Oh no, actually my buddy wrote the story. So we went together, he wrote the story and I took the pictures. So that was sort of like me sort of making a little transition. And, you know, like I was saying, when I went to the electronic show in Vegas, I would book my ticket and then, um, and then not book it and not book my return for like four days after the convention was over, um, and take some time off and drive around the desert with my like crown graphic four by five um, and, and do like landscape pictures in the yeah. desert, which is, which I really enjoyed. Um, and, and that was like, cause like in New York first I started, I was like kind of doing street photography, you know, um, yeah. seeing, seeing what I could do with that. Uh, but I was never really comfortable with like being bold with the camera and like either, either asking people's permissions or sticking a camera in their face. You know, right. I couldn't really do that. Um, uh, then I got a four by five and started like trying to be like Richard Misrock or something out in the desert, which was really fun. And I started taking some classes at, at ICP. Like I took a color printing class and, and a sort of more another sort of critique class and, and, a, and uh, also a digital printing class as well. Um, and I, I, I would, I would lurk around the East river in the lower Manhattan, like taking abstract pictures of like waves crashing on the piers and stuff. Um, and I actually found a bunch of them recently in a box in the basement. Did you like them? I like them. I, I I was, I mean, they're, they're the opposite of what I'm doing now because I was shooting something moving with a really fast shutter speed. Because at the beginning of my interest in photography, I was really focused on sharpness. Um, and now, as you, can, as you can tell, I've completely changed in my, in my taste. Right, right. Um, but uh, but I, um, I thought those pictures were, were kind of cool. Um, and so I sort of just it gradually grew and grew and became a bigger and bigger part of my life. Um, and then I got fired. From my, my magazine show. <laughs> I've actually been, the film you well. know, I, I, I only re- admitted this to, to myself recently, but I've more or less been fired a lot. Um, <laughs> like, I'm kind of unemployable, I think. Um, and now that I've, like, sort of reached a level in my art career, I feel like I can just say that. And, right. And, and, well, uh, you're the boss of you now. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, my first job in New York... Uh, I worked at the Strand. Fired. Oh, nice. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> um, were you late? No, I. Th- I think I. At the time, I told myself it was a conspiracy, a grand conspiracy, because um, <laughs> I. I think I talked too much about how I didn't want to work there, and I was like, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm going to get. A, I was like, I'm just stopping off here. I'm going to get a job in publishing, um, and uh, and there was this guy named. Kurt, who did the tables in the middle of the store. Oh, um, yeah. And he, uh, it was an honor. He actually asked me to help him. Um, and I helped him. And 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he liked the job I did. But then they also gave me a shot at working at the cash registers, and they like they didn't. They thought I didn't do a good enough job with the cash registers. But um, they probably were justified. But it's also a kind of thing where you get to three months working there, and I think it's three months. It's either three months or six months, and then you would automatically join the union and get health insurance. Oh, so okay. they so they tend to fire the people right before that point, and and I think right. they fired me. But like the the woman who who fired me, I like totally like saw her like drinking beer at lunchtime, you know, every day, and I'm like, I can't believe <laughs> like this. I this is a low bar that I'm I'm not able to to reach. Um, oh, maybe it's a status to get fired from. Starbucks. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's cool a, it's to put a, on it's, a, it's a badge of honor. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, then I worked in I worked at Simon Schuster after that for a while. Yeah. So I, I I got into publishing, but I didn't work in editorial. I actually ended up in the publicity department, which was pretty intense. Ah, PR. Um, yeah, um, and uh, you know I would get assigned these authors, and they weren't like the big authors. They were sort of the mid list low right. mid-list authors and and they would expect me to like take care of them and make their book a big success um right and they would get like a month or two of my attention um and then i would like have to break up with them but they would think that i was just their vassal for life um right but i would right. just be like i can't really work with you anymore i have to move on to other things um but it was i don't know it was it was not great um, but then I kind of, I didn't get fired from there. I just kind of got, they kind of gave me a little nudge, but then I got this Forbes. Encouraged, encouraged yeah. to quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think maybe they just sensed that I wasn't, you know, a thousand percent committed or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, so when I left the magazine job, I more or less decided to do this. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a, a lot of years of kind of scraping along, and my my wife was so understanding and supportive um, most That's of the time. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was. Well, it was you, oh, I was just gonna say, how did you find the materials? You know, like that process that you have, which is so, you know, it's unique and specific. I mean, where did you come up with that? Um, I think. I, I, well, the first thing is I sort of started becoming more and more interested in sort of staged photography. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I discovered Gregory Crutzen, who I saw was one of your guests, right? Um, yeah, I was I was really totally blown away by that by his yeah, his, his stuff. Impressive. Um, and and I and I wouldn't have to deal with the anxiety of you know doing street photography if I could just create everything on my own. Um, right. And at a certain point, my wife and I bought a little shack up in the Catskills um, with a few acres attached to it. And I just started building stuff and experimenting there. And so I'd make these like weird sculptures out of sticks and fluorescent lights. And, and uh, I'd go to Pennsylvania and buy fireworks. And so I'd like, nice. you know, use smoke bombs and Roman candles. And I just sort of started going nuts up there with, with my my Shenhao 4x5 um, and whatever else I could I could dredge up. Um, and uh, I, I did this long project that was, was these pictures of this robot. 
which was just totally out of left field. Um, I actually started doing this like before that Wally thing came out, but it, uh-huh. but it was it was kind of a similar thing. It was like sort of this. It was it was a narrative, um, which I would never do now, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. It was sort of a, a, a narrative series of this robot living in the woods in upstate New York, and then uh, for the first series of pictures were him sort of doing thankless grunt work, which I think it was a reflection of of my sort of complicated relationship with work and having a job. Right. I did have a job at the time, but then. Uh, I started making these strange sort of sculptures out of sticks and, 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 you know, what I was talking about, fireworks and smoke bombs that this robot would encounter. And so he started having these, these sort of slightly menacing encounters with these things, you know, around this house and in the woods and stuff. And then eventually yeah. he started succumbing to them and, and they killed him and, and all sorts of stuff. And I did a book. Um, I did a handmade book that I can send you a, a Vimeo link to um, out of like cool. wood that I salvaged from uh, from the woods, from a fallen down chicken coop that was in the woods by this house we had um, and like nuts and bolts. And, and I, I wanted it to be rusty. So I like used Coca-Cola to to make all the screws and stuff tarnish and everything. It was really fun. I made I, I planned on making like 12 of them, but I I flamed out at five. Um, I think, and they weigh about like ten pounds, and they they have a little light that turns on, and it's it's totally That's quirky. Cool. It's the kind of thing yeah. where if I if I'd gone to art school, they never would have let me do this, um, <laughs> which might have been a good thing. I don't know, um, but uh, it was it was a super fun project, and it sort of led to what I'm doing now because I just I just the sort of the sculptural apparitions that that I had this character confronting were what evolved into the work that I'm doing now. Right. Um, so I started doing things like that exclusively in, in upstate New York. And then we ended up letting go of that house. And then shortly after that, we went to California. Um, and California was really hard at the beginning for me to continue doing the work that I was doing because I'd developed this whole process where I was tying stuff to trees. Um, right. And as you know, unless you're in a redwood forest, uh, there's not that many trees in California. Yeah. Um, and Different so landscape. I had to, and I, and I didn't, I didn't see what's amazing about the California landscape for a while. I was just like, I have nowhere to tie shit to. Um, yeah. So, so I had to sort of develop my own system to create my own off camera structures to right. suspend all my little monofilaments from. And so that was a that was a whole new process where I sort of had to reinvent what I was doing. Um, Do you think that was good? Because a lot of your work looks as though you're adapting to different environments. I, I mean it was it was fueling. Yeah, it was it was wonderful in, in retrospect. I mean it was it was really challenging at the time and I think the first year that I was there was like extremely unproductive. Um, but then with each passing year, I sort of got more confident and and was able to develop more ideas about how to do my work that it, it just got yeah. better and better. Um, and I, I, I came to realize that the, the fact that there are so few trees in California was 
great for me because um, the, the the quality of the light at at dusk is just vastly superior in California yeah. because you have that open horizon um, that's unobstructed uh, by by trees. Um, different palette too, right? Different palette, um, but also you know much more challenging in terms of wind because in yeah. in Northern California it's just a it's a constant presence. Um, very consistent, constant presence. Um, and I, I fought it for years. Um, or I wouldn't say fought it. I tried to outmaneuver it. And I would try to, you know, look at the weather forecast and find days when, when the wind would not be blowing so that I could string up some like plastic stuff and have it not either tangle up irreparably um, or just be a blur in my right. in my photograph um and and i was I, and I got lucky a lot fortunately but a lot of times i was just totally foiled and i would like make yeah. something out of you know i mean i remember in in the this really cool place called cougar buttes like an hour outside of la um it's like blm land i spent hours making this thing out of like file folders like paper file folders and the wind kicked up, and in like two minutes, it just turned the whole thing into a, a tangled disaster. Yeah. Um, it was, and, and that happened kind of a lot. Um, but gradually, I sort of came to the realization that I needed to, to conform instead of fight. Befriend, befriend needed, the wind. <laughs> I needed to befriend the wind. Um, yes. and, and I needed to, out. I needed to create things that were specifically designed for the wind. Um, and that was, that was, uh, very liberating for me. Yeah. And the video um, component of it is kind of, is very compelling to see that. I'm, I don't know if that's like a happy accident or a byproduct of, you know, being able to share stuff on social media or whatever, but seeing those, that movement is such a nice byproduct of that dance with the wind. Yeah, I mean, I was I was doing videos ten years ago, and my wife was always like, "That is awesome!" Like, that's yeah. She didn't say that's cooler than the picture, but she was like, "That's that's amazing." But it always takes me a few years to figure out something on my own that somebody else told me already, um, and and I think I've really I've now really embraced that that the video is like a really important part of what I'm doing. We're all like that, aren't we? Stubborn. Because we have our direction and other people aren't seeing it through the lens of making it. So they just respond to things in a more direct way sometimes. That Yeah. We always had a rule of thumb in the studio. It's like if a teacher comes in and says something and you just totally disagree, it goes against everything you think. Then you know what? Screw it. Just throw it out. But then if like five people come in and say the same thing, you got to listen because something's going on there. You yeah. know, like yeah. you're missing the bus if that's the case. So. Yeah. It was also a logistical issue for me because um, my shoots tend to be so demanding, and I'm I'm so uh, sort of harried in my pursuit to finish before yeah. the sun goes down. That to add another task into that, like shooting video, is um, stressful to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that just gives me more incentive to sort of be. A little bit more organized um, right. to be to be, Plan. you know. I know that back to the planning thing though, which is not my 
my greatest strength. Right, right. Um, That's <laughs> we battle. I, I mean, you know, my a lot a lot of times people will look at my work and say like, oh, it's so neat, or it's like orderly. And uh, your studio must be so neat, or you must be, and it's not the case at all. It's like, you know, sometimes your work embraces battles in your life that you feel like you need to to face, and you almost face it more in your work than you do in your regular life. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Absolutely. It's got to, there's got to be some sort of negotiation that's going on unconsciously <laughs> between yeah. Yeah. us and our, the world, you know. Well, I, I was thinking a lot about all the, shoots that I've done that were failures. And I, I kind of feel like I should go look at them and dredge them up and, and maybe not see them as secondary or pieces that should not be seen. Because I think yeah. um, I kind of had this, you know, I was, I was sick recently, possibly with COVID, but I'm not sure. Um, because I didn't have any tests where I was. Um, but I, there was one morning, morning when I just like had these fever dreams that was like, oh, wow. I was like, it was like an acid trip practically. I was like, my mind was just going crazy and I had to like take notes and everything. Um, but in one of my realizations in my, my fever dream was that I, I think my pieces are kind of self-portraits in a sense. Um, and... If that's the case, then then the failures are every bit as valid and worth looking at than the, right. than the ones that I like and that I'm I'm proud of. That's a good point. Yeah. It's really hard, though, right? To, it's like acknowledging things that you know, like when you look in the mirror and you're like, "Well, that's not." You just want to not pay attention to certain things, or you know what I mean? It's it's hard to look like completely, yeah, at, at yeah. Your, your process or yourself and you know, we kind of almost, we're almost better at tricking ourselves than anyone else is. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it also, it also just kind of makes it more interesting when you can see the good and the bad. Right. Um, and the, and the whole, the whole narrative. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's funny cause cameras inherently, they don't do that. I mean, they're, they're hiding things, you know what I mean? It's in, not that it's staged, but it is a representation of an actual thing. But it's, which all art is, it's artifice. It's like a fa- it's means it's a simulacra. But you know, with photography, it's specifically leaning towards realism in the sense that it's a photograph. But it's not always what you think it is. Well, and and particularly in my case, it's the the fact that most of my work now is shot with these long exposures. Um, right. It's it's a it's a demonstrably inaccurate portrayal of what's actually happening there. Um, the videos are, are you know pretty accurate, but but like the 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 fact that I can shoot things at a you know quarter of a second and 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 they sort of lose their edges uh, yeah. makes them transform into something that you don't see uh, with your naked eye. Um, but it really is like painting in a way, in the sense that, you know, like if you look at Pollock dancing around the, the canvas and that, all those brush strokes are a collective presentation of his movements that he did over the course of making it. You know, it's one frozen moment of yeah. all this collective action. And in a way, that one frozen moment is a collective action of like whatever it is, a quarter of a second. But it's all that movement and shape and form and dynamics so in a way, in a way, it's very real. It's realism. Yeah, yeah. It just 
it's abstract at the same time. In a way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a collection of moments instead of instead yeah. of a single moment, um, which which I which I love. I mean, I think that, I think that, I think that makes it stickier um, right. and and more worth staring at. Um, but I, I am like interested. I, I'm I'm introspective about how I went from being in, wanting my images to be sharp to being blurry and I kind of wonder why that is maybe it's just like getting older it, it, it's partly reading um, Walter Isaacson's Leonardo biography that that was I mean I was already I had already you know gone blurry at that point when I read that but but it, it sort of um, crystallized uh, yeah. a lot of my thinking for me because you know the the thing about all that stuff about sfumato and 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 how and how the Mona Lisa, one of the reasons it's so amazing is that there, there are no edges. Um, right. Yeah. And 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 I feel like my when I can, it just that blurriness just gives my work so much more. Uh, the fact that you can't stop anywhere, you know, it's just, it's more movement, more intrigue. I don't know. Yeah, um, no, I get, I get it. It, it, and it creates. Um, it's like when things are are outlined or too defined, it, it you be, you understand it quickly and you move on, even yeah. if you don't really understand it. You think, oh, I get it, but then anytime there is that sort of ethereal ambiguity, your mind will want to to deliberate. You know, it's you stay in the image and the idea longer because it's not defined. It's not so. It's not that one-word response from your middle school art teacher. It's it's kind of like you know a little. It's more open. It's you can reflect more on it. Yeah, know? yeah. The key thing though is that something has to be in focus. You you need there needs some details that you can you can see. Uh, you know, juxtaposed with with ones you can't. Um, if it's right. if it's all just one big blur. It's a Uta Barth photo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is great but yeah it's a yeah. whole different thing it becomes about you know no focus really. yeah 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 it's the dynamics it's the dynamics of the idea of a photograph representing one moment in time but there's a there's moments in there compressed you know it's the idea of yeah like the that things are out of focus but then everything else is kind of in focus so it you know it it's the dynamic between the two that really you know keeps you engaged in the image yeah absolutely i think that's where a lot of work goes to to die is where it's just like okay i get it you know and i've it's the analogy of like punk rock i mean i love punk rock but punk rock just like says it to you you know, there's no kind of like ambiguity. It's just like, here it is. You know what I mean? Which was needed. And sometimes that's needed, but there's something to be said for asking the viewer some questions or leaving some ambiguity there for them to bring whatever they have to the image, you know? Yeah. And, and I love the idea that everyone brings something else um, and, yeah. and everyone sees something different. The, the, fl the, the flip side of that is that oftentimes people see things and I don't see I don't really want them to see um, I mean I think that's the rub I mean I think I think a lot of times people just see the the aesthetics and and they're like I, I think that's beautiful or that makes me feel calm and I'm like oh mm -hmm. that's nice um, but but that's I mean obviously 
I, I want them to see a lot more than that. Um, but you can't always. I, but I think I think aesthetics are a great place to start. But I think right. I, I, I think the more the more you, you you keep developing whatever idea it is, the more starts to happen. Yeah, and scenes. if you can get one, if you can get one or two out of ten people to really buy in, that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Just like if you invite everyone to the party to bring something, if if only one person brings rotten deviled eggs, it's a pretty good ratio. You're, you're getting <laughs> <laughs> overall, it's worth it. You're doing well. Yeah, yeah. So these days, when you're um. When you're shooting your work, is it basically like, okay, not to get into planning again, but I mean, you're doing some, it seems like you move around, like you're not just shooting in one place. So is it, is the, is quote unquote, like going to the studio and making the work, there's space in between and there's like this movement and there's different places and, you know, there's a different kind of thing to go into a white cube, right? And just making work every day. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it really depends on, uh, where I can go and what's going to be happening wherever that is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the great thing about California is there's just so many wide open spaces and, and there's lots of places to go all year round. Um, and you can find a beach that won't be crowded or have any people on, on it at all in, yeah. on Jul- July 4th weekend. Um, whereas the East Coast, the coast just fills up, as you know. Um, in the summertime and so for instance like in the spring of this year I did a lot of shooting at um, on Assateague Island off the coast Mm -hmm. of Maryland which is I'd never been there before until we moved to Philadelphia but god what a beautiful place like a beautiful stretch of totally undeveloped Atlantic coastline Um, wow and you drive I, to it, or do you? Take yeah, it's a good. It's a good like two and a half hour drive. Oh, it's such a. It's just a little bridge. It's not like a, okay. you know Martha's Vineyard or something. Um, right. But uh, I would I would go there in the off season, and and I found a place where I could park where I could kind of sneak in away from any other big parking lot. So nice. if anybody was going to get to where I was, they were going for a long walk. Yeah. Um, and and I had some great shoots there. Um, sometimes someone will invite me to, to go somewhere, which is great. But for the most part, it's me trying to figure out where I can shoot and whether or not I'm going to need to ask permission. And yeah. if I don't ask permission, what the chances are of me getting in trouble, which I never actually haven't actually gotten in trouble, but, but I, I have a lot of anxiety about getting in trouble i don't know why yeah. it's just just imposter <laughs> syndrome or something like that well it's from being um, fired from strand it's there it's all it's all the firings <laughs> um but uh but yeah so you know i i i sometimes i have a hard time getting myself motivated yeah and I, and I go through you know periods of of inactivity um it's, it's sort of like exercising you know Going for a run is the first time is really hard, but once you do it a couple of times, you you get into right. a routine. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I kind of I have to travel now in a way I didn't in California. Right. Um, and the, the the pandemic year in California was um, quite productive for me because you know we're in we're in Marin County, which is just an incredibly beautiful place, and my yeah. wife was suddenly working from home. And the kids were just on Zoom at home, 
And so I was kind of free. Um, and going out, there's not a lot of people out. And so, so I, and I could go to and all people yeah. are staying away. <laughs> so exactly. you had like, it was exactly. almost a, a perfect storm in a way. Exactly. Um, and, you know, a lot of times you weren't supposed to even park by the side of the road, you know, at the in, in the peak COVID lockdowns. Yeah. But for the most part, I could I could go out and, and do whatever I wanted. Um, right. and, and I really like developed some ideas and, and was able to sort of really hammer at some stuff that year, um, which was great. And But it's hard for me to replicate that being on the East Coast. Um, but I did actually just go to Nantucket for like a week and actually a little more than a week. And I really like pushed myself in a way that I haven't before. Because usually my shoots are like physically and emotionally exhausting to me and i'll do i'll do like two in two days and i'm like i need a break that's it um, yeah because yeah. like physically you know, I, I i carry a ton of gear to wherever i'm shooting and that might right. be 100 meters and it might be a half a mile depending on on where i'm going and then it's just like a lot hours of repetitive work and then i shoot at dusk and then i have to break the whole thing down more or less in the dark and then haul it back to to my car and it's just it's it, it it's fun, but it's also sort of an ordeal. Um, yeah. But on Nantucket, I just I just kind of turned it off and went into just work mode and just just kept going. And I and I that's cool. I ended up doing like ten shoots in a little less than two weeks, um, which is like that must have felt good. I mean, it's like a year's work for me in other yeah. years. Um, it was it was great, and I. And it was a revelation that I can actually do a lot more than, than I thought I could do. Right. Um, I mean, do you ever think about moving somewhere like Greenland? <laughs> I mean, that'd be great. That'd be great. How are the schools there, though? You know. Yeah, I don't know. You might have to do some of that homeschooling we've heard about. Yeah. Imagine that. No thanks. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think about I think about moving someplace where I could it would be easy for me to work, um, but those places tend to also be extremely expensive. Um, yeah. So that's that's a problem because everyone else wants right. to be there too. Yeah, or yeah. it's so remote that it's not even doable. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm sure Antarctica would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chilly, um, but you know, some good uh, photogenic. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to plan a trip to Canada in the spring, um, but we'll see. Yeah, that could be, I'm sure there's some amazing. Cool I mean, that, that it sounds. I mean, logistically, I know it's difficult and having a family and all that stuff, but the idea to travel to make work, I mean, it's really, it's great. It's a great excuse to sort of see amazing places, you know, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's sort of, my work is sort of my way of being in nature, I've kind of decided. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love hiking, you know, with my family or friends or whatever, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's something that I'll really do alone that much unless I was location scouting. Um, right. I don't, fishing never really took for me. Um, you know, obviously I don't hunt or anything like that. Um, but I, I find that making my work in these beautiful locations is is sort of my way of connecting um, yeah. with nature. And it, and it involves basically being in the same place for many hours. Um, and you see a lot when you stay in the same place for, for a yeah. long time. 
you know, at the beach, you know, on Nantucket. I mean, seals would come visit me. They wouldn't come out of the water, but they would like come stick their heads out and check me out for a while. Whale you know. watching? Any Didn't whales? see any whales, but in California, one time I was doing a shoot in, on a beach in south of San Francisco, and like a pod of whales. I, I not not like um, humpbacks or anything, but like like I think maybe pilot whales um, were right off the break, like right offshore. And they were so close to the shore that I thought, like, are they going to beach themselves or something? Uh-huh. And and of course, the thought went through my mind: if those whales beach myself, beach, beach themselves, do I have to stop my shoot and try to help them, or what am I going to do, or what's <laughs> going to happen? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I've seen like flying squirrels and you know all sorts of cool stuff. Um, yeah. And I and I love just being in a place and watching how it transforms over the hours. Yeah. I'm there. I mean, I get there at 11 in the morning and it's bright and contrasty. And when I leave, it's pitch dark. But but that time from like, you know, six to eight or whatever, when hopefully I've finished doing what I'm, I'm doing and I've, I've experienced the transformation in the, in, of nature itself, but also what it's done to, to the thing that I've made is really a powerful experience for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I just go sit in a room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put on some music and just paint on a wall. Uh, so that sounds really nice. I mean, I'm sure it's the grass is always greener, right? There's something great about just going to the same place, and there's something amazing about being on the road. So you yeah, know, yeah. But you, you, I think we learn how to let our fire be fueled by whatever the conditions are. Yeah, and 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 we find the thing that feels like open road to us. Right, and, and I, that I, easy is not the right word, but 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 something where you love being in it and 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 being in the process, uh, and and I'm the kind of person who is restless and doesn't like doing nothing, but is also really lazy, and that's a that's a yeah. toxic combination, um, <laughs> and so so that means that if if left to my own devices. I'll, I'll, I'll think of all the things that I should be doing, but not be able to do them. And then probably right. just like read the New York Times and get stressed out about, yep. you know, the midterms. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas when I'm out there doing a shoot, like it's, it's, I, I feel, I feel free. I feel um, like the repetitive work of it is, is, um, feels good to me. Like it feels good for me mentally. Uh, yeah. And, it's just, uh, it, it's something that, that it comes naturally. Um, and, and I feel incredibly blessed to have found that thing. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And, and I think it's great because I feel like that, that kind of vibe comes across in the work, you know? So that's, it's really cool that it reverberates in that sense. You know, you feel this sort of um, flow state kind of connection to outdoors or nature, and but in a way that feels like, I don't want to say alien, but you know, it just feels like otherworldly in a sense, you know, it's almost like an escape, like a visual escape. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, another thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is, is the materials I use. Um, yeah. Cause as you know, I mean, I started out doing this work with, you know, pure petrochemical byproducts, you know, the, right, the plastic right. cups and the, yeah. and the plastic plates and, and, uh, and you know, the, the, 
the trashy food products like cheese balls. And, and that's like been a big part of my work, like sort of presenting this contrast between the things that we make and, and the natural world. And, yeah. and sort of the, a goal with every shoot is to sort of create a piece that feels like it's in conflict with its environment, but also in harmony with it at the same time. Um, yeah. That said, I, I get like a fair amount of flack particularly on social media, about using that mesh tool material. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's nylon, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's oil, essentially. Um, and on one hand, it's, as I said, it's sort of like part of the point of, of my work. At the, at the other, on the other hand, I, I take it to heart. And, and uh, I would really like to be working more with um, organic uh, sustainable materials. So I have been doing that. Like, like I've done, I've now done three pieces with silk, which is a heck of a lot more expensive than nylon tool. Yeah. I can tell you. Um, and I've done a number of pieces with um, linen and, and cotton, um, which has been really fun. And I'm, and I'm really excited about some of the results, but uh, it's more, it's more challenging. And, and those yeah. materials aren't as, as mind-blowingly versatile as nylon tool, and so I kind of feel like, in a in a microcosm, I'm going through sort of the same struggles that we are as a society as a whole, in that we want to not use these petrochemical products, but they're so damned useful and and yeah. hard to replace. And uh, I, you know, we it's easy to to, to dunk on plastic, plastic straws and paper bags, but there's all kinds of other stuff that we don't want to talk about, but that's like so vital to our lives, like in our, the clothes we wear and at the supermarket, everything's wrapped in plastic, even at the you know, health, health food store and there'll be tons of plastic. And the reason is, is because there's no like viable, cheap alternative. Um, right. And so like, I, it's it's fun for me to think about this kind of context, thing in the context of, of my own work, um, and 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 to sort of make it a a personal goal to try to find things that I can that I can work with that are not you know these sorts of products. Like for instance, there's a company that's making um, fabric out of algae, and I've been like talking to them on Instagram trying to get them to send me some. Um, and they're they're dragging their feet right now, but <laughs> but but it's like you know, as much as I think the criticisms that people make are are missing the point a little bit. At the same time, it it pushes me to to explore a new direction, which which I like. Yeah, we can always. I think everyone in their life can try to do what they can. You know what I mean, and and make choices and use materials in a way that that they feel but to to like publicly be criticizing people because they're using something that's man-made is just like come on i mean you're making something beautiful out of something that's you know there are are much bigger fish to be going after as that's that's as what like i pollution think and yeah. all that stuff so i mean i grew up in around straight edge kids who were like the most hardcore like you know i was vegetarian they were vegan and i was yeah. like the punk person like yeah. the crazy one you know i mean it's just you know those people are using stuff in their day-to-day life that's it's the same parallel of the things that you're using for the most part i mean it's you know that's just social media is the worst i mean people just like you know 
soapboxing and complaining about stuff. It's like, just do what you... Everyone can do what they want to do and do it how they want to do it. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I would think, yeah, that stuff is like... <laughs> it, gets, it gets a little... I mean, I just, uh, I, uh, maybe I'm a little sensitive to it because that whole thing with throwing the soup on the, the Van Gogh that just yeah, happened, yeah. Where, like, come on, there's, there's, there's a better way to do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's not the, pro- I mean, that's not the way to go about it. There, there is a lot of, uh, environmental maximalism out there and, yeah. and I've, I've sensed a change just in the past few years, whereas like, you know. Six or eight years ago, I felt like I could do what I wanted, um, but now people seem are like, you know, you're intruding on a on a on an environment. And did you think that you might have displaced a, a squirrel from its home for the hours that you were there? And in that case, it had a hard time That's, getting the calories that it needs to survive. You know. <laughs> That's um, when it's time to turn the phone off or the computer <laughs> off. Don't read anything. It's just there's always going to be someone who's you know what I mean. It's just you just have to do. We just have to do what we do. You yeah. know what I mean. I I'm a problem because I make paintings. Yeah. No, I mean I think I think they're ridiculous, but it, it also it also is thought provoking to me in a sense because it makes yeah me no no to definitely. think about where I stand on things and, right. and it helps me sort of uh, articulate my own form of envir- environmentalism, which is you know definitely more pragmatic. Um, yes. Then. Let let them burn out their lithium batteries while you know <laughs> tweeting you or <laughs> rage commenting on your posts. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's all for the good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what do you have? Anything coming up? Is there any way that people can? What's the best way for people to see what you're doing? Uh, I mean the 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 dreaded Instagram. Is, is, uh, but, uh, is no, no. I didn't ask the best way for people to publicly shaming you for. Uh, no, no, no. Well, that's that's using, where my that's where my materials. work shows up the most. Um, <laughs> right, right. No, I'm kidding. Um, and I and I did just produce a whole bunch of work that I'm going to be trickling out over the nice. next few months. Um, cool. I don't I don't have an exhibition on the on the near horizon. Um, although I am doing a if if. We're in the late stages of approval for like a public art piece in in Northern California, actually, nice. in, in the That's town great. of Tiburon. So I'm gonna Whoa. I'm gonna make a piece actually for live public consumption um, that will hopefully be there for a month or two. That's gonna be sort of a, a wind-driven piece, like on the That's exciting. In, a, in a park on the water in Tiburon. Um, nice. And I'm and I'm trying to move more and more into that world yeah. um tentatively um i mean I've, I've gotten a fair number of invitations to do stuff and i tend to say no because i don't feel comfortable with whatever the setting is or whoever but but i'm starting to pick ones that i think i can really succeed at and and sort yeah. of go slowly into that space because you know it is kind of a shame that i, I do these pieces in isolation and every once right. in a while somebody will wander by um and, and see me but for the most part I'm the only witness to to what I do right yeah no that's that's exciting that'd be a cool you know um, I don't want to say a new way you know but another way for the work to be experienced you know yeah yeah um, I mean uh, it, it's, it's harder for me because I often make things 
so that they're they look good from one angle. That's right. my main focus. So to actually yeah. have to make something that needs to be good look good from all directions, that's gonna it's gonna take some more work. Um, yeah, don't I know but, it? I'm I'm just only zoom presentable. I only look good from that's here right. up. Like the bottom <laughs> half, forget it. <laughs> exactly. We all do what we can. Well, maybe it's motivation. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, okay, so online they can check out your work and um yeah, it was really great to talk to you. It's yeah. it's been like uh it's cool to hear your story and the, you know the work is like it's really cool there's nothing quite quite like it so uh, I'm really excited that you took the time out to talk to me well thank, thank you. you so much <laughs>